All right, well, turn your Bibles to Second John. We're looking at uh, truth matters in a world of lies. We're looking at Second John, and uh, just to give you the overview so you remember uh, what we're looking at. The big idea is that truth matters in the wor- in a world of lies, and we are to long for the truth and make it a priority in all of our life. And so that's kind of the big idea of the book. We spent two weeks kind of setting that up, and now we're here. In verses 1 through 3, and we're going to learn how to love by the truth or with the truth, and we're going to see truth's provision. But before we moved into that, I thought it'd be good to define, and it's really important, definitions are so important. And uh, we're going to throw around these words truth and love for the next couple of weeks. It's probably good to uh, define what we're talking about. And so what kind of truth are we talking about? So this is just kind of to, to define it as we move into the lesson, and it's this. When I say truth in this lesson, what we're talking about is gospel truth. God's kind of truth that is revealed from above in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel truth. What kind of truth are we talking about? God's kind of truth that's revealed from above in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you see there in your notes that if you go through the gospel of John and you go through 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, you're going to see that the truth that God reveals is incarnate truth. It's truth that is centered in His Son, Jesus Christ. You all know John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way the truth. So what is truth? Truth is a person. Truth is Jesus Christ. Not just a proposition, or a, not just a philosophy, not just a principle, not just something uh, we believe. It's a person that we relate to. Uh, he says uh, in John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. So it's incarnate truth. The second thing you see is that it's indwelling truth. Not only is the truth of the gospel found in the person of Jesus Christ, but it's found in the person of the Holy Spirit. Here's what 1 John 5, 6 says. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. So again, Jesus is the truth. The Spirit is the truth. But here's the good news. The Spirit is the truth that indwells us as believers. Listen to John 14 16 through 17. Here's what Jesus says. Because remember, He is the truth, but He's going to die, rise, and where is He right now? He's up in heaven. So this personal truth is up in heaven, and we are down here. So here's the promise He gives before He dies, on the night before He dies. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper. Jesus was the first helper. Now I'm going to give you another one of the same kind, that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see Him or know Him. But you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. So that's indwelling truth. The third way that God has revealed His truth is the inspired and inerrant truth, the Scriptures from God. So we have the Son of God in the flesh, we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, and we have the Scriptures of God that both Jesus and His apostles and the Holy Spirit revealed to us. So that's the confidence we have in God's Word. Here's what John 17, 17 says. Sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. So Jesus is truth, the Spirit is truth, and the Scriptures are the truth. And the beautiful thing is, Jesus goes up, He's the truth, He gives the Spirit, the Spirit is the truth, and the Spirit moved and inspired and led the apostles to speak 
the very words of God and write down the very words of God. And so that's how we know that we have the truth. It's fascinating. And here in 2 John, this is what's interesting. In 2 John, we're going to see all three of these affirmed in 2 John. For instance, in uh, verse 2 of 2 John, we're going to see that the truth is personified or incarnate in the Son. And we're going to see that the truth indwells us through the Spirit. And then at the end of the letter, John says, I have more things to say to you than what I want to write with pen and ink, which is the inspired Word of God. Now, we can get really crazy here with truth and see all the differences. I gave those to you on your notes. But God's truth is radically different than the way the world views truth. Uh, God says His truth is divine revelation. The world says, well, such truth as that, that's human reason, I can discard it. God says His truth is incarnate, it's personal. It's in the person of a God-man, Jesus Christ. The world says, ah, such truth is an abstract principle. Uh, God says His truth is essential. The world says, nah, it's optional. No, it's eternal, not temporary. Absolute, no, relative. Objective, no, it's subjective. It depends on each person and situation. Universal, God, because He's the creator of all things. He rules over all things. His truth is universal. It's true for every person in every place at every time. But the world wants to look at the Bible and say, oh no, that's cultural. That's, that's local. That's limited. Well, you can go down and see uh, there's all these radical ways that we look at truth. So, when we talk about truth... We're talking about God's revealed truth in His Son, the Spirit, and the Scriptures. And you can look up those verses and you can see John and the letters of John verify that. But what kind of love are we talking about? So that's the kind of truth. Well, what kind of love? So when I mention love, I'm talking about gospel love. The kind of love, God's kind of love, that's revealed from above in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So both truth and love are revealed for us from God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here we have um, five characteristics. First of all, it's a supernatural love that comes down from above. Listen, we cannot love the way God requires and the way God loves us without Him putting His love in us. It's really that simple. Love must be revealed by God in truth and experienced by His truth because God Himself in love is love. It's interesting that in 1 John, uh, two different times, uh, we find the verse that says, God is love. It starts with Him. And because it starts with Him, guess what? He gets to define what it is. He gets to determine what it is. He is what it is. So any definition of love that differs from the character of God is not love. Are you with me on that? Uh the one, let me read just a couple verses. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And then I love 1 John four nineteen. We love because he first loved us. It's a supernatural love. Secondly, as you go through the Gospel of John and the letters of John, it's a sacrificial love that God revealed and demonstrated by giving His Son to die on the cross for the sins of the world and to transform us into the very children of God. This is big in the Gospel of John. What verse comes to mind on the sacrificial love of God? What? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He... Gave, and that's a sacrificial giving, right? So you got that. And then think of 1 John 3.16. We know love by this. How do we know love, John? That He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 1 John 4.9. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So the supernatural love is demonstrated in the sacrificial love 
which enabled us to be born again. Third thing, it's a scriptural love. The love that's revealed in God's truth does not contradict the teaching of God's truth. And I could take you through, there's also, let me just read one. First John, well, our, our passage here, uh, first John, or first John 2 4. Listen to this. The one who says, I have come to know him. Okay, I'm born again. I know God. And does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been, for, been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. It's a scriptural love that keeps God's commands, and that is a saving love. Um, you cannot know the love of God, or rather it's the love of God that forgives us of our sins and transforms us into the children of God. But that saving love, finally, is a sanctifying love. It's a love that makes us more holy. It makes us holy as He is holy. It's a love that obeys God's Word. It doesn't discard God's Word. It doesn't ignore God's Word. I, I can't say it better than Jesus. John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John fourteen twenty one. He who has my commandments and keeps them, that's the one that loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. In fact, as we love by obedience, we grow in the knowledge of the truth. So, what kind of love are we talking about? Gospel love. And there's at least five characteristics. I, you can come up with more from these, these letters, but that's kind of the five big ones. So, I just want... Definitions are important. Amen? And this is where the battle lies. Anybody can say truth. The first thing you've got to ask is, what do you mean by truth? Anybody can say love is important. The first thing you've got to ask is, what do you mean by love? And so when you're talking to people, when I'm talking to people, we need to define, well, what kind of truth are we talking about? Well, we're talking about God's kind of truth that comes down from above, that doesn't come from us, that you don't learn in a book, that you don't get through education. It comes from a relationship. What kind of love are you talking about? It's the love that comes down from above. It's the love that you'll never understand until you focus on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so that's the kind of love. Now... With that in mind, with that kind of truth, that kind of love, we're ready to study the first three verses of Second John. So took, look in your Bible there at Second John at the first three verses. And we're going to see that gospel truth provides all we need to show gospel love to one another. Now, this is going to be a radical paradigm shift for some of us, because what comes to your mind when you think of truth? When you think of truth, what comes to your mind? And I think if you're like many of us, what comes to our minds is something that's dry, impersonal, rigid, lifeless. Uh, we like it, but there's not much we can do with it. You might even think of truth. You might think of your Bible. But how often does our Bible sit unused? Without impacting our lives, it's just sitting there. It's truth, okay, it's the Bible. Maybe you think of a doctrinal statement. But typically, doctrinal statements, we have a doctrinal statement. They sit on a website. You may go over it quickly in a new member's class, and then you'll just as quickly forget about it. It's truth. It's there. Okay, nothing big. Nothing to get excited about. But when you think about love, what comes to your mind? When you think about love, what comes to your mind? We typically, we think of something warm, something welcoming, something life-giving, something engaging. Now, if those two ideas of truth and love are presented to you, which would you prefer? Love. Which would you want to prioritize in your relationships? Love. Who wants dry, rigid, you know, lifeless truth? I'd rather have love. It's warm, engaging. It reminds me of my grandma. It reminds me of my puppy dog. I like love. I want to long and prioritize love. But this isn't the kind of truth we're talking about. Look at 2 John. Look at verses 1 through 3. 
the elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. For the sake of the truth, which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace and mercy and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Now, when we think about this, what we see there is truth. Look, truth isn't impersonal. Truth isn't dry, isn't rigid. It's warm. It's inviting. It's powerful. Now, when you look at that, gospel truth provides all that we need to show gospel love. I want to show you five provisions, five provisions that truth gives us in relationship, in relation to loving others. And here's the first one. Gospel truth provides boundaries for loving others. Gospel truth provides boundaries for loving others. This is probably the most important point in this whole lesson. Notice what he says. He says, look, chosen lady, local church, members of that church, I love you in truth. I love you in truth. Now, notice what it says here. Gospel truth provides boundaries for loving others. And I try to, I try to uh, give you image of, images of what this looks like. Truth bounds love. That's what he's saying. I love, but I love in the sphere, within the limits, within the boundaries of love. This is God's kind of love. Love that stays within the boundaries of God's truth. We are the love and truth within the boundaries, the sphere, the limits of God's truth. So love is always within the boundaries of God's truth. That's what truth in truth means. We're loving in truth when our love stays within those limits. So what's that mean? The opposite means this. When love takes us outside the sphere of truth, then it's less than God's love. When love takes us outside the sphere of truth, it's less than God's love. And I tried to picture this for you. Here's the truth over here, and love is now outside of it. This isn't God's love. When we are not loving in truth, when we set aside the truth in order to love. Now, there's all sorts of examples of this. Let me give you a couple. A Christianity Today article in 2004 by Robert Sanders begins by giving three quotes that reveal how love is often taken outside the boundaries of truth. And here's the first quote. It was issued by the Council of Bishops of the United Methodist Church in March 24. 2004. And here's what was going on. They were judging a case of a lesbian minister in the United Methodist Church. And here's what the Council of Bishops said. This case reveals the continuing differences in the United Methodist Church concerning the issue of homosexuality. The Council of Bishops is painfully aware of the disagreement in such moments as this. We remember though, that our unity is in Christ and it does not depend on the unity of opinion. Rather, in Jesus Christ, we are bound together by love that transcends our differences and calls us to stay at the table with one another. Now, in that quote, note that the propositional view of truth is characterized as opinion. Either something's true or not. It's not based on opinion. It's absolute. It's in God's word. And what transcends this truth is a love that stays at the table. But listen, that's not loving in truth. He's saying, look, okay, here's truth. Truth is being uh, dismissed and set aside as opinion. What matters is that we love and we all get together, uh, get along together. It's interesting that as of 2012, the United Methodist Church is still taking a stand on not ordaining homosexuals or practicing homosexual weddings. But when this is the mindset, it's eventually going to lead 
to capitulation and compromise on God's truth. Here's the second statement that was in this article. It was made by the moderator of the 1998, so these are dated stuff, Presbyterian Church USA, General Assembly. His remarks describe how two men, one a homosexual Presbyterian pastor and a pastor who opposed homosexuality, who had both addressed the assembly passionately. And when they finished their speeches, they embraced. Then the moderator said this, When they finished, all of us stood up and applauded with a lump in our throats and a tear in our eyes as we watched them embrace one another. Convictions were not reconciled that day, but two people who had different convictions were reconciled in Christ. Now again, propositional truth is treated as conviction, opinion, something that differs among people. And what mattered was that they hugged together. In other words, what mattered is that they showed love. That's not loving in truth. That is not loving in truth, especially when you're in a a denomination, you're trying to determine is homosexuality a sin, should homosexuals be ordained, and all things that really, if you look at God's truth, you're like, you're really having to discuss this stuff? That's what God's Word is already determined. Now, what's interesting is, as of today, the Presbyterian Church USA now does ordain homosexuals. It does celebrate homosexual unions. And it's wavering whether it's even homosexuality is even a sin. This view of love, this view of truth, has long-term effects that lead us farther and farther away from God's Word. Well, the third quote comes from the Episcopal Church. The presiding bishop, the head leader of the Episcopal Church, Here's what he says. How we all fit together, how our singularities are are made sense of, how our divergent views and different understandings of God's intent are reconciled, passes all understandings. All that we can do is travel on in faith and trust, knowing that all contradictions and paradoxes and seemingly irreconcilable truths which seem both consistent and inconsistent with Scripture, are brought together in the larger and all-embracing truth of Christ, which, by Christ's own words, has yet to be fully drawn forth and known. Okay, there's so much in that I can't even begin. Okay, truth down here, our truth can't be reconciled. It can be consistent. It can be inconsistent with the Bible. You can hold opposing truths. But way up there, somewhere, is the truth of Christ that not yet has been fully revealed. So if we keep loving each other, if we keep walking this path together, someday Christ, or better, the Antichrist, will show us the truth and unite us all together. It's interesting that the Episcopal Church, as of today, ordains gay bishops and works towards the full inclusion of the LGBT community into the life of the church. In 2015, they changed their denominational canon of doctrine to make the right of marriage available to all peoples. Now, this has long-term effect. And I want to say two things here. First of all, in all these examples, we have been talking about people that claim to be Christians, that claim to know the truth that is revealed from God, truth in the Son, the Spirit in the Scriptures, and yet are setting that truth aside in the name of love and inclusion. Okay? Second thing I want to say is, maybe you're saying, well, why are you focusing on homosexuality? Because that's what the world is focusing on. Because that's where the battle is. The battle and the struggle when it comes to truth is in this area. Did you see just this week? Target uh, opening up their bathrooms to transgender people. This is in the news. And if we stick our head in the ground because it's uncomfortable, and indeed it's uncomfortable, if we stick our head in the ground because it's unpopular, and believe me, it's unpopular, and if we stick our head in the ground because people may get upset, then we're going we're gonna to be irrelevant. We're going to be ir- irrelevant, and we aren't going to be the light and the salt that God calls us to be. 
And this isn't just mainline denominations. This is true in uh, Baptist churches, Lutheran churches, Charismatic, Protestant, Reformed, Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox. It doesn't matter. Now, that's kind of the bigger picture. How does this affect you and I? Well, the first way is this. When we set aside truth in order to love. How does that happen in our lives? Okay, we're not bishops. We're not leading denominations. You know, how does this happen for us? Well, it happens anytime you or I, and I'm just as susceptible, just as tempted, just as pressured as you are. I don't care about right and wrong. All that matters is love and that I'm not hurting anyone else. This is the most common thing. Engage anybody on Facebook about absolute truth, and they're like, hey, as long as I'm loving, and as long as it doesn't impact anybody else, what, why are you getting your panties in a wad? Well, it's not really me, it's God. And your life is at stake. Your eternity is at stake. And out of love, that concerns me. And it should concern all of us. Uh, don't bother me with the truth. Don't bring the Bible into this. I know what the Bible says, but... This is what I prefer to do. I know this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. And this isn't limited to any one particular sin or one specific kind of relationship. Listen, this can happen in a marriage. It can happen in a family, in a church. It can happen between churches. And it's not uncommon for people committing adultery to walk into a pa- Christian's professing Christians, to walk into a pastor's office and say, look, I know this is wrong, but we, say it with me, we love one another. I know this, I'm leaving my wife, I know that's wrong, but, but we love. That's what's going on. You're not loving in truth. Secondly, when we twist the truth in order to love. We, we, in other words, we say the Bible's true, we, we, we're, we're holding to what God has said, but we twist that truth in order to love. The boundaries now are not solid. There's holes, there's loopholes by which we can go out. How do we twist the truth in order to love? Well, some focus on, uh, it's real popular today to, to ask, what would Jesus do? And the typical answer of what would Jesus do is always, he would do the loving thing. He would do the inclusive thing. He would do the welcoming thing. The only problem is we don't always know what Jesus would do. You know, we're, we're guessing what Jesus would do. We don't have an encounter with a homosexual in Jesus. We don't have an encounter in all these ways. We do have an encounter of Jesus with an adulterer. And what did Jesus say? Go and sin no more. Okay, he held to the truth. He didn't twist the truth. Another way that we twist the truth is to try to claim that Jesus is all about freedom and love and only the religious Pharisees focused on the boundaries of truth. This is very common. Jesus is love, and if you're into truth and you're into bounding love by truth, then you're those Pharisees that Jesus was always hated, that Jesus was always against. Another way we twist the truth is twisting the fact that Jesus ate with sinners. Now, Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus welcomed sinners. Jesus wasn't afraid to get involved into the lives of sinners. But when he ate with them, he called them to repentance. And that's the part that's often left off. In other words, we twist Jesus eating with sinners to justify going anywhere, doing anything in the name of love and in the name of Jesus and forgetting that when you hung out with Jesus as a sinner, you would be confronted with the truth. You would be called to repentance. Not a lot of hanging out with sinners in this day is calling them to repentance. In fact, a lot of it looks more like Christians wanting to participate in the sins of the world rather than calling the world to repentance. Okay, the first, um, oh, another way we twist truth is, let's say you point out and say, hey, this is a sin in the Bible. Someone will say, well, how many times is that mentioned in the Bible? And you say, well, it's mentioned seven times. Well, see, seven times, it's not that important. The idea being, unless it's mentioned a hundred times or a thousand times, then it's not really truth. We can set it aside, we can twist it, and, and, and we can still claim to have love. The third way, when love takes us outside the sphere of truth, it's less than love in God's eyes. We are not loving in truth when we take truth lightly 
in order to love. Here the box is still there. You still affirm, I believe the Bible, but you see how you can barely see it? You take it lightly. In other words, yeah, I know that's in there, but let's not worry about that right now. Let's not, I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to twist it. I'm just going to kind of compartmentalize it and focus on what's important to me. When we take truth lightly, we might say we never deny God's truth, but we treat it so lightly or we speak of it so infrequently that it never comes to bear on our relationships. Now, this is the pressure that we have as a church, as pastors and teachers, and you have as parents and grandparents, is that you may believe certain things are sin, but if you don't talk about them and you don't preach about it because it's unpopular and it can get you in hot trouble with people, then what happens is you're taking it lightly and no one thinks it's important. And believe me, I can guarantee you, when you talk and teach on these subjects, there's always a reaction. Either people are drawn to the truth or they react in truth, and usually they shoot the messenger in the process. But you know what? They shot Jesus. And that's what sacrificial love is willing to do. We have to speak the truth in love and not take it lightly. We can easily compartmentalize truth. Yes, there's limits to loving others, but this is an exception. And usually it's because it's someone dear and near to us. Usually it's because it's someone I'm related to or someone I am loving. Here's the facts. In Second John... John mentions truth five times and love four times. Listen, we can't take either one of these lightly. Amen? We can't take either one lightly. So, here's the summary. Gospel truth provides boundaries for loving others. Love that sets aside truth in order to love is not redemptive love. Love that twists the truth in order to love, that's not redemptive love. Love that takes truth lightly in order to love, that's not redemptive love. So... That's what we've got. Um, trying to think, how do I mute? There we go, mute this. Now, that's the boundaries. That's the hard part. You know, that's the hard part because it provides edges. Love has limits. It has edges, okay? Now, the second thing is, though, gospel truth provides motivation. It provides motivation for loving all believers. You may have got the impression, wow, love limits. Yeah, it does. But also or uh, truth limits love, but truth also motivates love for all believers. Look at the rest of verse 1. Yes, I love in truth, within the limits of truth, but notice this. Not only I, but also all those who have known the truth. Look at that. Not only I, John says, as an apostle, but all those who have known the truth will love other believers in truth. He's emphatic that he loves the local church and his his members. He literally is saying, I myself love you in truth. I'm identifying with you, even though the false teachers are attacking you. I love you. But God's love isn't just personal. It's also universal. This is not just what some Christians do. This is what all Christians do. All Christians love the church, the local church, and love the members in the local church. Every single person who claims to know the truth of the gospel should love the bride of Christ expressed in a local body like our church. In groups, in classes, in gatherings, in love feasts as we we will do tonight. But why should all believers love one another? Why should we love the local church? John answers. Uh, John's answer is clear. We have come to know the truth. And that's very important the way he says it. He's saying, look, you came to know the truth in the past and you still know the truth. And because you still know the truth, you're continually loving God's people. Wow. How do you know that you've come to know the truth and that you still know the truth. It's because like the Apostle John, you're continuing constantly, repeatedly to love other believers who are members of your local church and you love all of God's elect people in all places, of all races, of all genders, of all classes. We just love God's people. They don't have to look like us. They don't have to 
like us. They don't have to talk like us. They don't have to smell like us. They don't have to live where we live. We love them. Why? Because we have come to know the truth and the truth motivates us to love in that all-inclusive way among God's people. So what's that? What's he telling us? Truth should motivate us to do two things. Truth, when truth fails to move us to love one another, it falls short. Listen, if your knowledge of the gospel, if my preaching of the gospel doesn't move me to love people more, then we don't know the truth. It's falling short in our lives. And we can take the same three categories that we just went through for love, and it's just as true for truth. We're not being moved by truth when we set aside love in sharing the truth. You know, we may do this. Who cares about loving one another? We've got the truth by God. Let them sinners go to hell. They can come here and get the truth if they want it. See, that's unloving. That's falling short. Truth doesn't do that. Truth motivates us to say, wow, this is life-giving truth. Let me reach out to you. Let me love you. Let me be in relationship with you. Let me share with you the truth of God's love. Or we might say, I'm going to speak the truth whether they're ready for it or not. Who cares if they're ready for it? Who cares if the timing is right? Here's the truth. Boom! Is that loving? No, that's not loving. That's not loving. That's falling short of the truth. Listen to 1 Corinthians 13.1. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, these are all teaching gifts, know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Listen, we can't set aside love in sharing the truth. Secondly, when we twist love in sharing the truth. Now, how do we do this? Sometimes we love bomb people. That's what the cults do. They just shower people with love in order to manipulate them to do what they want them to do, right? And we can do that as Christians with the truth. We typically do this when we treat people as projects. So sometimes we look at somebody, well, here's a nice lost sinner. They're my project, and my goal is to get the truth into them. And that's unloving. We need to treat people as people. We need to give people the freedom to say no to God's love and no to God's truth. We need to listen to them and learn from them and engage them with questions. We're going through an evangelism training in our grow group right now, and we're just talking about that, engaging people in dialogue and questions. Okay, third, uh, when we take love lightly in sharing the truth. It's ironic. John is writing this letter probably from the church at Ephesus. And yet, in the book of Revelation, Jesus said this about the very uh, church that John was a part of. He says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, I know your deeds, your toil, and your perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. In other words, you're very vigilant for the truth. And then he says this, And you have perseverance, and you have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. And they're probably thinking, man, we are about to get commended. And then what does Jesus say? But I have this against you, you have left your first what? Love. You have left your first love. So, we fall short. Now, the truth moves us not just to love one another, but to love one another as members in our local church. I don't want you to forget that when he says, hey, I love you and all who love you, he's loving a local church. And guess what? Local churches are filled with what? Messed up people. I just read you a local church. In fact, there's seven of the churches in Asia where John is probably writing even this letter. They're full of messed up people, right? And yet John says, I myself love you as a local church with all your warts and all your messed up people and messed up uh, things. And even when you uh, 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 mess up my doctrine and truth, I love you anyway. Listen, here's what we forget. Jesus said in John 13, By this all men will know you are my disciples by when you love what? One another. 
When you love one another. And we tend to take that and say, oh, it's about loving all people. No, he's saying when you love one another as believers, that's how the lost will know that you are my disciples. And and, and listen, if we can't get this right within the church, how are we ever going to show it to the people outside the church? Okay? But notice this. Gospel truth motivates us to love other Christians in a local church that's identifiable with imperfect leaders and with imperfect members. It's very popular right now to say this. I love Jesus, but I hate the church. I love Jesus, but I, there's, there's all, all books written on this. And people, they're the unchurch. Oh, I, you know, I love Jesus. Now, why do they say that? Well, we all know why they say that. Why do they say that? Well, there's, they're, they're all hypocrites, which, of course, the answer to that is one more won't harm, come on in. Okay? They've been hurt. They've been hurt. They've been betrayed. They've been abused. And you know what? That's part of church life. It happens. And if, if, if every time that happens, we're going to run away from the church, then that contradicts the truth. The truth says, look, you love in spite of these things. You love through these things. You endure. You address them. I'm not saying you don't ignore them. I'm just saying that the reality is, look, I just celebrated on the 26th year. If I was only going to stay here because I never got hurt, I never got betrayed, I never got hurt, I wouldn't have been here more than maybe five years. Because the reality is, it happens. It happens. And you know what happens? When that happens in my life, when that happens in your life, two things come out. You find out how much you believe the truth... And you find out how much you need God to enable you to love the unlovely. In other words, your Christian life kicks in. That's when it becomes real. That's when it becomes real. Hey, look at first, Look at that verse 1. It says, look, if you have come to know the truth, and if you still know the truth, you will manifest that by a constant, continual love of God's people in God's local churches in spite of the difficulties, in spite of it being hard. Here's the third provision. Gospel truth provides degrees in loving others. Gospel truth provides degrees in loving others. Now, this may be new to you, but it's all throughout the Bible. Notice what he says. Who does he love in truth? Who are we, and I've already given this answer, who are we to really love if we know the truth? It's the point I just taught, so hopefully you got it. Who are we to love? Other believers and other local churches. We're to love God's elect people. So does this mean that we don't love other people? Or does it mean there's degrees of love. Well, let me show you and see if I can uh, lay this out for you. God is love, but He still has degrees of love when loving people. So let me give you three, three degrees. God as Creator loves everything He creates. God as Creator loves everything He creates. Everything. God loves His creation right down to the birds of the air. And the flowers in the field. Isn't that cool? He takes care of them. He clothes them. He feeds them. The rock badger. Those beans in the depths of the sea that no human being has yet discovered. God loves them. Why? Because He created them. God's Creator loves all of His creation. And by the way, but even in this love, there's part of His creation does He love the best. What part? Who? Uh, m- people made in his image. So he loves all, so even in this love, he loves all created beings and all created things, but he loves m- people in his image. And by the way, even when Adam and Eve rebelled and shoved their fist in his face and said, look, we want to be little gods and we want to throw off your kingship over our lives, he still loved them. He clothed them. He provided a promise of redemption. He sent them away from the 
so they wouldn't eat of the tree and be forever condemned in their sin. And listen, it doesn't matter the grossest, hardest, most despicable sinner on this planet is love his creator. Amen? So while there's truth and there's limits, there is love for even those that deny his existence. Secondly, God as Redeemer. He has a different kind of love. God as Redeemer loves all sinners, all people made in his image and provided his son to die for all their sins. John 3.16 For God so loved the world particularly man and woman. He loves the world and He offers His Son as a sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the world. But there's a third degree to God's love, and that is God as Father to His children. To His children. Yeah, I know, I didn't spell that right. Do you, do you love all the kids here at church? Pat and Terry and Promise Kids, you love all the kids here at our church? Do you love them all as much as you love your kids? No. How unloving of you. <laughs> Terry's not a very loving person, is she? Terry needs to grow in love. Terry ought to grow, love all our kids as much as she loves her own kids. You're like, are you insane? Yes, I'm insane, because that's not biblical. God doesn't do that. But we tend to flatten God's love as though God loves everybody equally. No, there are degrees. Listen, you better thank God that He doesn't love you like He does a bird. Right? And as a saved, redeemed person, you ought to be glad that He doesn't love you like all sinners. He has a special love for His people and His children. Now, I can give you all sorts of evidences of that even from the book of John. But just like God, we as believers are to have degrees of love when loving people. So what's that mean? So how about us? Well, on this first degree of love, listen. We are to love all people made in His image, all groups, regardless of race, gender, class, regardless of what sins may distort their, God's image in their lives. Even when they deny God's existence and suppress God's truth with their sin and encourage others to do the same. We ought to love them. When they vote for people that we wouldn't vote for. When they live in ways that we don't live. When they affirm truths that just make us cringe. We need to love because God loves them. God loves that way. Secondly, we should love like Jesus, our Redeemer. And anybody that comes across our path in need, we ought to reach out to them in love. In other words, we should be the Good Samaritan and not cross on the other side of the street when someone is hurting. In fact, just this week, and we'll maybe start with this next week, there's a video of a man who gets hit by a motorcycle in the middle of a street, it's in a foreign country, and he literally lays in this four-lane crossroads, and people are walking around him, buses, city buses are going around him, and this, this, this camera catches this, and he just sits there. It's like, wow. People claim they have known the truth. help, right? But also, like our Heavenly Father, we have a greater love for God's children. We have a greater love for even God's children. I'll only read one verse. Galatians 6, 9 through 10. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. In His image. It doesn't matter what they believe. It doesn't matter how they live. Let's do good to all people. But then Paul says this, and especially those who are of the household of faith. What I want you to see in here today is that John is saying, look, if you've come to know the truth of the gospel, then you have the motivation to love all people, but especially God's people 
in God's local churches. That's where the truth is manifested. That's where the love is shown that the world can see. Hey, look at these people. They hold truth and they love in that truth. And that truth opens them to love all people, but they have a special love from God that they demonstrate to one another. And folks, that's what we're doing tonight. Tonight is coming together as God's people. We have come to know the truth. And because we've come to know the truth and we still know the truth and it's impacting our lives, we're motivated to love one another, to gather together and to celebrate the one who is the truth, who has given us the spirit of truth and has given us the scriptures of truth, which all provides for us everything we need to love one another. Let's pray. Father, we... We are humbled and we're here because truth has brought us here. And yet, Lord, these truths are hard and it's getting harder. And the pressure is ratcheting up. The tension is becoming greater. And this isn't unusual. This is true throughout the centuries. It's just new to us here in America. It's new to us in our culture. And yet, Father, we have the truth and we have what we love other people. So I pray, Lord that these hard truths, you would protect us as we teach them. And that, Lord, as we teach them and as we apply them and as we share with them, share them with people outside these walls, that we will do so in love, not taking love lightly, not setting it aside, and yet not setting aside the truth, not taking the truth lightly. Lord, we need your Spirit. And we need your word to sanctify us. So, Father, uh, as we go upstairs to worship, may we do it in spirit and in truth. May we do it in grace and in truth. May we do it by loving in the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.